Thanks a lot. Good morning. I, too, want to welcome you to uh, Labor Day weekend. Hopefully you've had a good start to it and, and looking forward to finishing it out well. Um, here we are in the last sermon in our Storylines theme. And as Brent shared in his weekly email, uh, What's Up Wednesday, it's been a great year. where We've kind of gone through a, a lot this past year. Uh, we've had the story of you, the, the tales of the trees, the book of Upside Down, where we looked at 2 Corinthians. We've had that one plot twist, uh, how God saved the queen, and the look into the book of Esther. We've had that series that was a dark and stormy night, and then this summer going through Poets' Corner, and this final month's series, Storyboards. And I want to uh, take us to one final story in the Gospel of John. So I'm going to invite you to open up your copy of the Word of God to John chapter 18. We're going to start there in chapter 18, and then we're going to jump to chapter 21 later on. And as we, in a sense, kind of look Look at the rest of the story of Peter. Now, two weeks ago, if you remember, uh, Brent looked at the story of the disciples in the boat. Here's his artwork. And uh, he, he does pretty good artwork, doesn't he? In a moment, you're going to see mine. And, well, we'll see. Uh, we'll do a little comparison here a little bit. But uh, as we saw there in that story, how Peter stepped out of the boat and he walked on water. The rest stayed in the boat and played it safe, but not Peter. He stepped out. He took a risk. And he got to experience walking on the water. Now, we know he just he sank just moments later when he took his eyes off Jesus. But still, he walked on water. And it wasn't winter. Incredible experience. And so along uh, with the rest of the disciples... Peter learned that following Jesus, as, as Brent had shared with us, preclude you from playing the safe game. Uh, that following Jesus offers you, uh, uh, provides, offers you unexpected opportunities. And that following Jesus provides continual opportunities to experience him in new ways. Now, you would have thought, you would have thought for Peter... That experience would have been all that he needed to live boldly for uh, Jesus Christ. And to set out to build the church, which he was called to. But as we read on in the Gospels, and particularly today as we look into the Gospel of John, we find that there was more to the story for Peter and the disciples. As Peter, as, uh, after Peter's walking on the water, there's, there's more miracles that were done. There's more teachings of Jesus, but also there's more challenges to Jesus as he, uh, and his authority by the religious leaders. And there's more tension. There is a lot of tension as Jesus prepares Peter and the disciples for why he came. That he would die. That he would die to pay the debt of sin for all who believed in him. You see, here's the thing, as I reflected on this passage this week, it's one thing to have a walk on water experience, right? You know, to go to a retreat, to ex 
experience other believers worshiping God, to go to camp and see God speak in a concentrated way as you're away, f- away from it. It's one thing to have that experience. If we're like, Sue and I, this summer, we went to a concert, outdoor Christian concert, and there we are, we're worshiping with 15,000 people, believers, for king and country. It's a great thing. It's a walk on water experience. And it's so good, isn't it? It's just like, yes, I enjoy it. But, but there's a whole different thing, a whole different reality to live for him when faced with persecution and rejection by a world that is opposed to Jesus. And that's the next scene that I want us to look at. I want to, the next thing that I want us to look at in regards to Peter in John chapter 8. See, here's the thing. Jesus is going face to face with the rejection of him by the religious leaders. They're, they're, getting, they're getting madder and madder at Jesus. And now he's arrested and he's taken before Annas. And but out in the courtyard, there's a story of denial taking place. And that is of Peter's denial. Not just once, but three times. Now, have you ever had that time in your life where you said to yourself, what have I just done? Been there? It's one of those times where there's extreme anxiety, remorse, and unbelievable regret that overcomes you. You ever been there? Well, let's read Peter's what I have just done experience. In fact, I got a, I got a, I got a, a my drawing. You're going to throw that up there? There he is. There. Not so good, is it? But let's read the experience, and I think it'll come to life regardless of my artwork, all right? And, and we'll see what, Peter's, what have I just done experience? It's in John chapter 18, and he says this, Then a detachment of soldiers with his commanders and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father of of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. And Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside, outside the door. The other disciple then, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. And so they, there, Peter and I believe John, and, and, and they're standing around the fire. And then, all right, this, uh, uh, they came, let me go back. The, the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back spoke to the girl on duty, and brought Peter in. And then she says, You are not one of the disciples, are you? And the girl at the door asked asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold. And the servants and the officials stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Now, the scene switches a little bit here in the writing in verses 19 to 24. It goes back to the high priest questioning Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. But I want to quickly jump down to verse 25. 
And it says there, as Simon Peter stood warming himself, he asked, You are not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not one of the high priest's servants. Now, this is a very significant thing. A relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off in the garden challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. In that moment, a rooster began to crow. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine for a moment just the feelings that Peter was dealing with as he grappled with what he had done? Now, John does not give us this insight, but Luke does. If you read this encounter with Luke in chapter 22, he shares, and he went outside and wept bitterly. The emotion, the overwhelming regret, the everything that hit the heart of Peter. Now, you know what's interesting is that this denial of Peter was a pretty significant event. All the gospel writers, they mention it. Think about that. <laughs> They're saying, yeah, we're writing this one down. They all mention it. And so the question comes, what are we to take from this denial of Peter as he walks towards the cross? Well, I think this is something we got to grab a hold of ourselves. And that is this. You know, this is the heart issue, really, of every believer here today. You may have proclaimed Jesus as Savior, but are you, re, are you living your life surrendered to him as your Savior? And here's, here's what we can learn, I, I believe, from, from Peter's denial. First is this. I must live by God's ways and not by my own wisdom. When Jesus began to tell his disciples about his eventual arrest and, and suffering and then and then death. Peter had a problem with that. He had a problem with God's plan. Even to the point that he confronted Jesus. And Jesus responds to him in Matthew 16. When he says, get me behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And here, there's this, this tension that's going on. Let me ask you, have you ever had an issue with God's plans? You ever have an issue with what he's doing? It's, I have. I've had those times in saying, that, God, I'm not too sure about this idea. So many of us, so many of us want, want Jesus in our life to accomplish our plans and how we want God to work. I have great ideas for God. Anybody? Can you relate? I have great ideas for God. And that's why Jesus immediately says, after rebuking Peter in Matthew 16, 23, he says in verse 24, he says this, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so we have that, that challenge there. I must live by God's ways and not by my, my own wisdom. But secondly, I think there's here a thing that we can grab a hold of, and that's that I must act by God's power 
and not my own strength. Peter, Peter was so determined. He was so determined to stand strong for Jesus, but to choose it, to do it in his own strength, in his own way. When we see him in the courtyard, striving to blend, you know, we see him striving to blend in with the rest of the officers that he's just pulled his sword on. Think about that. He stands next to the fire with them, just trying to blend in with them. He's trying to fit in with the world and, and, and his but in his heart, in his heart, he's not of the world. And because he has tried to do things of his own strength and not God's power, he, he's in this place of inner turmoil and confusion that's twisting at his soul. And it's just tearing him apart. And when he's questioned about his relationship with Jesus, he says, no, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not one of his disciples. And he's challenged with this reality that I must act by God's power and not my own strength. Third thing I think we can learn from, from this, this, uh, this reality of what Peter went through, this denial that he, 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 he went through. And the third thing is this, I must fear God more than I fear man. Peter continues to slip deeper and deeper into his denial. And here's the reality. The further, the further you go with a lie, the harder it is to turn around. Once you enter into that, you, it, it's hard to turn around. And that's the case here for Peter. What no, happens next reveals a, really a, a weakness in his heart that God was trying to strengthen Jesus. You know, here, a relative of Malchus insists that he is a follower of Jesus. Uh, you go, didn't I see you in the garden? Didn't I see you there in the olive grove? And now the stakes, man, they're high. The, the tension, whoa, what have I got to do? What am I going to do? And the question comes, will Peter stop lying and risk owning up to his relationship with Jesus? And you have to think about that for a moment. I, I, I can relate. Whoa, that's, that's tension. That's challenge. Do I, am I really committed? Am I really kidding? This guy, this guy is a relative of Malchus. What will he do if he finds out that I'm the guy who sliced off the ear in the garden? What will he do? And Peter, Peter is realizing this situation has gone from bad to worse. Peter can no longer gently Respond with a no, a simple no. It, it, well, it's, it's not convincing enough. Uh, it's not going to convince them. And, and Matthew tells us that he begins to swear and cuss to bring force to his no. See, Peter had done something. He had done something he never dreamed he would do. Wow. Deep down. I'm, I'm sure he's grappling with his relationship with Jesus, but deep down he's, he's never stopped loving the Lord. And yet he's failed in his confession and his witness. It's a dark hour. I was selling out to this, my Savior. But here's the thing that we know and that Jesus knew. His faith had not failed 
He had stumbled in his walk, in his confession, but his faith had not found. How do we know this? Well, his Lord and Savior prayed for him back in chapter 17. He prayed that his faith would not fail. That was his will, but he still feels his own disappointment with himself. And so the crow, the crow, uh, the rooster confronted him about the weakness of his faith. And there he sat. What a scene. You can imagine, can't you, with him? What Peter's feeling in the moment. What's going on in his heart. Oh, Lord, I love you, but I failed you. I failed you. Now, I want to take you to the next scene. The next scene of Peter's life in the final chapter, uh, chapter 21. So flip over to chapter 1 because the story doesn't end there. Praise God, glory, hallelujah. Isn't that so comforting to know that no matter what we've done in our life, the story doesn't end there in our own walk? Don't you need to know that? The story doesn't end there. And so John is wrapped up all he has been led by the Spirit to write in chapter 20 so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ. But there's one last thing he wants us to know, and that is what's happened to Peter. <laughs> what's happened to Peter? Is he just left there in his turmoil? Is he, is he just left there in his, his agony? Is he just left there in his failure? Well, here's the scene in chapter 21. There's this, there's this confusion the disciples are in. Disciples had gone to Jerusalem and had experienced a series of events after that, that, that uh, you know, after they had walked with Jesus. There was the triumphal entry. If you go back, you see that when Jesus and he was praised with the palm branches. There was the expectation in their hearts of a new kingdom. He's coming, man. He's going he's gonna to take down these Romans. There's that expectation. Then there's a betrayal by a trusted friend, Judas. And then there's a near arrest and, and, uh, and denial of Jesus by their leader, Peter. And then there's agonizing crucifixion on the cross of Jesus. There, and then there's a resurrection. He come, there's word that he's back, he's back to life. And then they see him. There's the manifestations of the risen Lord, understandably, they are confused. Can you relate? They are confused and unsure about the future. But for Peter, it was more than confusion. It was an overwhelming sense of failure. Peter was the one who betrayed Jesus. And even though he had repented, which was seen in his weeping after the rooster crowed the third time. And even though he had seen Jesus in the locked room on that, on that morning, that first resurrection Sunday, and, and a week later with Thomas, he had still not made right with Jesus. And so what does Peter do? He goes fishing. <laughs> Anybody like fishing? He goes fishing. Let's read it. Chapter 21, verse 3. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, uh, Thomas called Demas, Nathaniel from Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, 
Simon Peter told them. And they said, hey, we'll go with you. And so they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Look at my picture here. Got to throw up, see my empty nets? No fish in the nets. So the question comes, why did Peter go fishing? Well, I begin to think about this and begin to ask, well, the reality is he's, he's returning. He's returning to his old way of life before he met Jesus. I'm sure he thought, man, I failed. I, I messed up. So I might as well get on with life and move on as I have known it. See, and this is the reality. And I think the application here, if we just stop a moment and, and look into Peter's life and his story, and that is this. It's one thing to repent. You have forgiveness. But restoration comes when you get right with God and those you have sinned against. And the question comes, have in a sense you've gone fishing? <laughs> have you gone fishing? Maybe you've repented, but you've, you've gone back to the old way of life was before Jesus. And you need to get back on track. You need to get back, on, back right with the Savior, get tra- on track and, and walking, walking with him. And so we, here we see the picture of Peter's, he's gone fishing. He's gone fishing. But what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus shows up. He shows up into, into Peter and the disciples' life. In fact, here's the scene. Jesus is up on now. He's on the shoreline. You've got to throw that picture up there. Y'all loving my artwork? I don't know if you can. There you go. All right. There's Jesus on the shoreline. All right. Okay. All right. He shows up. Let's read it in verse, verse 4, chapter 21. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? <laughs> Anybody been watching The Chosen? I have. You can just see uh, their version of Jesus, I guess. It's like, Yeah. Hey, guys, you got any fish out there? All right. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. That sounds familiar, but it didn't click with them. And and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water verse 8 the other disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore but a hundred yards when they landed they saw the fire of burning coals there with the fish on it and some bread and so you see see my fish in the net all right and so here's here's what we got happening i think some insights to to gain as Jesus shows up on the beach, and begins the pro- he begins the process of restoration, of a fresh start, of a new beginning. You know, I'm thinking about that. September's a great time for new beginnings, isn't it, folks? Maybe there's God's doing something in your heart and life, and, and maybe this is time where God wants to show up on the beachfront of your heart and say something to you. But here, let's look what he does. First of all, he restores the joy of Peter. They had fished all night. 
but had caught nothing. Jesus comes, gets to the right to the heart of the matter. Peter and his other disciples, he, he had led down this path. We're thinking this would be the best way to get back some sense of joy. And for Peter, some sense of purpose. If I just go fishing, that's all I needed to do. But they caught nothing. They caught nothing. And so Jesus here, he instructs them. He instructs them to cast their net on the, on the, on the right side. And, and not realizing it was Jesus again. Well, let's do it one more time. They cast it out and the net fills with fish. For Peter, here's the thing. For Peter, James, and John, this would have reminded them of their first encounter with Jesus when he calls them to come follow me. Come follow me. When he does that in Luke 5, John, John uh, immediately recognizes uh, this, that this is Jesus, and he declares it, and immediately Peter's off to shore. And I imagine as, as Peter... He approaches the shore. He has tremendous joy in his heart. Because he's being reminded of so much. Of his call. When Jesus filled the nets that time. Uh, it, it's, like, it's like he's returning to his first love. It's, it's to that time when he first realized who Jesus was. And he, and he, he fell to his his knees in repentance and said, I will follow you. And yet at the same time, there's, there's this conflict in his heart. As he smells the burning coals, the charcoal fire that Jesus was preparing breakfast on. You see, the last time, the last time, if you remember here, just in reading, the last time Peter stood around a charcoal fire was when? When he denied Jesus. When he denied Jesus. Three times. Then Jesus, though, he continues on in his restoration process. Then Jesus then, he, he, he provides, we find him providing for Peter. Look at verse uh, 10 of, of 21. He says, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. And Simon Peter uh, climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, and they want us to know it was 153 large fish. This is a significant miracle. But even with so many in the net, it was not torn, and that's another miracle. And Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? <laughs> they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread, and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. Reminding them of that miracle of a feeding of the 5,000 immediate. Hey, guys, remember, remember all that I've done. All that we've, we've been through these past three years. Peter, remember this. And so as Jesus, he cooks that breakfast, they all eat in amazement. And Jesus just demonstrates to them, hey, I'm going to be the one that's going to provide for you. Going forward, I'm going to be the one that empowers you. I'm going to be the one that's going to be the work through you. You need to understand that. And so when Jesus shows up, when he shows up on the beach front of your heart, 
in the midst of a failure or in the midst of a, a difficult time in your life, whatever you may be going through, and you, you see him, he's there. I want you to know he's there. He's waiting for you to turn and see him. You have a choice. You have a choice. Will you run forward to him and find the joy of your salvation restored and his power and provision in your life? Or will you stay in the boat and keep on fishing and keep on fishing? Here's the thing. Restoration, it first happens when you run to Jesus. When you run with, to him, crying out to him, seeking his face. We all need that. I need that in my life. When you run to Jesus, when he shows up in your life, and he's always showing up. But restoration, here's the thing. Restoration also happens when you respond to him. When he calls you to a recommitment of your heart. And that's what we see that Jesus does with Peter here in this next session. Look at verse 15. He says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, Do you love me? He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. And that's the scene we have with Jesus around the campfire. Now, why does, Jesus, why does Jesus call him son, Simon, son of John, instead of Simon Peter, which he had changed his name to? And here's the reality. He's speaking into Peter's life. See, that, that was his name before he was called by Jesus. In essence, he's saying, Simon, son of John, is that, is that what you're going back to? Is that what you want? Simon, son of John. Is, is that where you want to go? See, that, that was his name before Jesus. And if we remembered, Jesus changed Peter's name. And why did he do that? Because Peter had a purpose now that Jesus was going to use him in a mighty way. He was, he was going to be the, the rock on which Jesus would do a mighty work of God to build the church. So Jesus speaks to Peter directly about the, his sincerity of love for him. And three times he asks, do you truly love me? See, here's the thing. Jesus, he gets to the heart of the matter with Peter. See, it's one thing to say that we love Jesus. It's a whole other thing. To truly live out our love for Jesus when the time is difficult. 
See, we find here in this restoration, it's a call to commitment of love. That is, that is more than, than these. And what is the more than these that he's asking him? What? Well, what had Peter just been doing? He, he'd been catching fish, right? And he'd been fishing. That was his profession. That was his career. That's what God called him out of. And Jesus is saying, Peter, am I going to be number one in your life? Over these, whatever it is. And Jesus asked Peter, he asked him three times, if he loved him. Jesus doesn't settle for quick answers. (laughs) Think about that. In our life, he's not going to settle for quick answers. He's not going to settle for superficial answers. He has a way of getting to the heart of the matter. Peter... Peter, Peter had to face his true feelings and motives when he was confronted by Jesus in this restoration process. And so Peter responds with the affirmation, Yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus tells him how to do that. He says, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. This here, when he says this, is the essence of the great commission that Jesus gives to his disciples, that he gives to us just before he departs to heaven. If you're reminded, this is what drives us as a church. In Matthew 28, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And surely I will be with you. Always to the very end of the age. Peter's mission, here's the thing we see. Peter's mission was to establish the church to be a disciple-making community that would make Christ known to all the nations. Now here's, I think, the one thing I would say grab a hold of as you think through this and what maybe God may be speaking into your own life. Restoration will always lead you back to the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. It always does. And Jesus concludes by saying, in, in, in verse 18 through 19, he tells, he, he tells John, I mean, he tells Peter by the reality, he goes, I tell you the truth, when you're younger, you dress yourself when you, and, 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 and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want, go, want to go. But Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death Peter would glorify God with the fact that he would give his life for, for the kingdom work. But then he says this, follow me, follow me. And so I would ask you in closing, where are you at? Are you following him? Does, does Jesus have a wide open door into your heart? that beats with a passion for him? Or is there a sign swinging on the door of your heart that says, gone fishing, gone fishing? What are the these in your life? The these things. What are the fish in your life? What is it that's, that's taking you away from pursuing the great mission of God? Is it the old way of life? 
you've fallen back into? Is it a sin habit? Is it an attitude? Is it, is it not forgiving someone that's hurt you and you need to turn that over to Jesus? Is it the love of money? I ask you. The worship team's going to come. They're going to close us out with a song. And, and uh, I invite them. I think they're coming for Is it Chris? Maybe just Chris is coming. But all right. They're going to come and close us out with a song. And we have a, I think we, I am at too long, right? I'm reading that clock right. But I want to give you an opportunity to respond. You know, here we are at the beginning of a new year. And here we are at, as we look ahead to the coming year and asking God to do greater things. Maybe it's an invite and he's on the, Jesus is on the, on the beach in front of your heart. Say, okay, let's, let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. Let's ask God to do greater things. And maybe Jesus has shown up and, and, uh, on the, uh, and he's saying, hey, I, I, are you going to love me more than these? Are you going to love me more than these? Whatever you do, Lord, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to walk in. Stand with us as we, uh, as we sing.